Okay, Titus chapter 2, and uh, it's sort of shifting now because Paul has been telling Titus to be a leader, to establish leaders, and then in the last several verses to stand against false teachers, false leaders. And now he says very specifically, as a leader of the church, as for you, Titus, this is what you need to do as a pastor, and this is what you need to help give the vision to the leaders in the church that they understand what their job is in helping the people to be who they're to be and how they're to be growing in the Lord and established. So I need you to step up to the plate and uh, take a swing at the ball and, and do it. And it's so often, life is messy. I mean, right? I mean, it's so often we'd like it to be neat and cut and fine, but it, it's soon as you try to step forward, uh, you know, things break and fall apart, right? You know, maybe you gals remember the first uh, year of being married and how many things got burnt, how many horrible meals ended up coming out. You're trying to, you know, in your mind, I'm going to go home and I'm going to cook this recipe and everything's going to work out fine. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I did it the way instruction said, but I forgot the salt. And all of a sudden it doesn't taste well. Or, and, uh, and, of course, raising kids. You know, you, got, you read the books, you got it all lined up, how, how are you going to do it? And, and then, you know, the kids don't follow the way their kids in the book are do, you know. And things get messy quickly. And so often, pastors and leaders can step up and try to be the person they're to be, and they get slapped down for trying to be the leader they're to be. And just like in the, in the home with uh, parents trying to, you know, confront the kids and be the parent, uh, and the kids punish you for giving them wisdom and trying to, to be the person you're to be. Well, in the same way, um, he's saying, as for you, this is what you've got to do. No matter how difficult, no matter how it seems like it's not producing positive results sometimes, you, you've got to do what God's given you to do. And that is to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And this term, sound doctrine, is repeated in Titus. It's the word healthy. We get our word hygiene from it. Uh, healthy doctrine. So you need to speak the things. He's going to tell us what all these things are. After I tell you what you're to say, I need you to go say it. And again, this is for you. The false teachers are saying all kinds of crazy things. But you, uh, this is what I need you to say. Remember in 2 Corinthians 2.17, uh, people feeling intimidated sort of by um, what others were saying about them. And you guys there? Got the verse there? Second um, Corinthians two seventeen. There we go. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So know who you are in Christ. You are a person who's sincere. You're not peddling a product. 
God's given you this job. He's, this is what God, through me, is helping you to see how to be the pastor you to be. And of course, uh, God's ultimate thing was not just Paul instructing Titus, but Paul instructing pastors uh, throughout the ages. Um, in the Living Bible, it translates it this way. Speak up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. In the New Living Translation, it says this. Promote the kind of living that reflects right teaching. And so, the very beginning of the book, we talked about it, where the very first verse, that right doctrine will produce right living. Or true doctrine will produce true living. Or righteous doctrine will produce righteous living. And here again, he's saying properly, now you need to, you know, that's sort of the skeleton. Now you need to put some meat on uh, that skeleton. And in particular, things that are for healthy doctrine. Of course, this was the Great Commission, wasn't it? In Matthew 28, Jesus told the apostles, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? All things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's interesting as you look at Jesus' teaching, it wasn't pray a sinner's prayer. It wasn't accept the Lord. It wasn't join a church. It wasn't a lot of things that we often sort of use as a litmus test. He's basically saying, you're looking for people that are willing to begin following Christ and then continue to have a hunger to learn more and more about God and his ways and then doing that in their life and then finding people that will in turn teach other people about God and uh, his son Jesus and his ways. But the real proof whether a person is a Christian is right here. Are they willing to be a disciple? What's the word disciple? It's the word transliterated from the Greek into an English word. We just created it. The Greek word means to be a learner. Go into the world and make people who are willing to learn and continue daily, weekly, monthly, decade after decade, to continue to learn and to grow in Christ. And uh, remember in Matthew 13, Jesus said, some people, the seed goes up on the street, nothing, hard as a rock. Some people, it falls into thin soil. They rejoice for a little bit, but then they hit the hard soil. The sun comes out, and it dies. Then there's some people, the seed goes in, but the weeds, they allow the worldliness, the greed of this life, the, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the desire just for other things, and they choke out, and there's no fruit. But only one out of four really becomes a disciple, and that's the person who... It says uh, in Luke, it says, with a good and noble heart, receives a word, and with it produces fruit. And so, again, we basically, you know, people come, and some, again, they hear the word and just reject it. I was, uh, um, Britt Humes, you know, he made a statement on Fox News uh, that, um, Tiger Woods needs to leave Buddhism and come to Christianity because it's only in Christianity that he'll truly find forgiveness from God and can get him through the crisis in his life. I thought it was very bold. 
But it's interesting if you look at the response. I mean, most of them are these blankety-blank-blank-blank Christians need to take it and shove it where the sun doesn't shine, blah, 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 you know? That was the response of a lot of people, just violent, and you know, and Britt came back and just said, isn't it interesting? If I said go to Buddhism to the Muslim religion or Buddhism to become a Hare Krishna, I wouldn't have got any response. But when I mention Christianity, there's this violent response. And so some people are like that. They just violently reject the gospel. And then others, they'll rejoice in it. But then when it starts costing them, when it starts causing them to have to become disciplined, rejecting the flesh, they want to throw it to the side. And then others, they want to try to live in the world and live a holy life. And it doesn't work. You've got to come out and be separate, says the Lord. And so as you begin to give people direct, specific things that are in the word, not our opinions, not our church rules, but here's what the Bible says. And this is what God would like you to do. If you've given your life to him, then your life belongs to him. You need to daily start spending time in the word. You need to start creating a life of prayer. You need to let go of bitterness. If you're bitter at somebody, you've got to forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. You need to actively do good to them. Pray for them. Bless them. Do good to them. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. And you begin to give specifics, and they're just at that point, okay? I mean, everybody's going to wrestle with things, okay? But you don't understand. I have a right to be bitter. Let me tell you what they did. And they would love that because they love to spew their, their bitter poison on others. And it's like, nope, I'm not going to listen to it. <laughs> Just take it to the Lord. And here's, what, here's the scriptures on forgiveness and not being bitter. And, and they, they come to that point to be a disciple. Am I going to hear what Jesus says and apply it to my life and begin to live it out? Or am I gonna, is this going to be the point where I was in the thin soil? I was willing to rejoice meeting all these new friends and singing all these new songs and you know, learning Jesus loves me, but all of a sudden, bam, they hit the solid rock. Either they're gonna, the root's gonna get through and continue to cause the plant to grow or it's gonna stop right there and the sun's gonna come out and beat it and they're gonna be destroyed. And so again, here the real proof is gonna be in the pudding. You as a pastor begin to instruct them and again, remember the church in Crete it was a very immoral place. It was an island where all the sailors came. It was known for its uh, hedonism of all types. I don't need to describe it. But throughout all the different countries that took over the world, you know, whether it was the Babylonian Empire, or the Greek Empire, or the Roman Empire, it was all the same thing. They showed up at the island to party. And here are these people that are the generations that have been living in this very depraved culture. And now the gospel's come. And he's saying that things that would be known or understood in a normal society, you know, I mean, just the average person in the world is raised in a way not to steal or not to lie. Or, in this society, not so. And so you have to sort of explain to them water's wet. And uh, in the spiritual terms. 
And so in verse 2, he begins to start with the older men. So Titus, you're a young man, but you need to be a teacher to old men, to older men. We're going to see the description later on of older women. It's those who are no longer raising up children. The younger women are those who are raising up children. So, uh, you know, what's an older man? Well, your kids have moved out. You've raised kids and they're out. I, I don't know. I mean, it sort of depends. I mean, you start having kids at 18 or 38. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know if that's a real good indicator. But um, I think it's sort of different. And every society decides how an older man lives, you know. I mean, some societies, they die at 40 is the average age of a man. So, you know, it's really, uh, do you feel like an old man? Okay, then this is for you, okay? Um, and uh, if you're not, if you don't feel like an old man, just ask your wife, am I an old man? And she'll tell you. Or ask your kids. I mean, once you turn, you know, 30, you're an old man to your kids, right? Um, but to the older men, and this, this could be intimidating, I know when I started pastoring here, I was 24 years old. And I quickly realized that guys that were 50, 60 years old looked to me, because I was a pastor, as a father figure. And it was very intimidating for me. Some 58-year-old guy saying, hey, I need you to give me counsel. Uh, I'm having this marriage issue. And this guy has been married, I mean, 15 years longer than I'd been alive. And all of a sudden, I'm counseling him. But he wasn't asking for my life experience, okay? He was asking me, what saith the Lord from the word? And again, I, it doesn't, I don't have to be married the same many amount of years he's married if I'm giving him the word, right? And I, that, It was a learning curve, uh, trying to not be intimidated, if you would, by people that were older. And uh, so Titus, no doubt, uh, would have to go through this wrestling match as well, um, you know, telling an older person that they need to repent in a certain area of their life and begin to live in another way. Jeremiah, remember, he went through this in Jeremiah 1, verse 6. He wasn't going to do it, and he said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to him, do not say, I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. To root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. So if you look at this, it doesn't matter how much life experience you have. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. This is my word, and you're the vessel. I used Balaam's donkey, and now I'm using this young man. It doesn't, it's irrelevant. I need you to be obedient. And then on down in verse 17 of Jeremiah 1. Therefore, prepare yourself and arise and speak to them all that I commanded you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, against the people of the land. They will fight against you. 
but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. So it wasn't just older people, but the king, the princes, the priests. I mean, again, just very intimidating. And not only that, but I'm telling you in advance that it's going to be very controversial. And if you've read the book of Jeremiah, you know he was thrown in prison and his life was threatened on many occasions. But he goes on there in Titus and says, I need you to tell the older men, and then notice what he says, to be. I need the older men to be. Referring to character. I need them to know they need to continue to grow in character. You know, the word in Greek for character, it's to cut a deep groove. It's the word, for example, if you had a piece of metal and you were going to scratch your initials into it. That's the word, character. And it's, in essence, God, if you would, taking his sharp tool and carving it into the metal of our hearts. He's carving in his character of saying, this isn't who you are once or twice or twice a year or for six months and then you're not for six months. This is who you are permanently. And so as we grow as Christians, you know, I just really am just seeking the Lord. I'm living pure this week. Man, I've had a great week. But eventually, I'm always living pure. And when I'm not pure, whoa, man, 10 minutes, I wasn't, my mind was wondering. And see, that's the point. It's who you are on a regular basis. And that takes a lifetime, okay? It's not something, there's, when we start counting out the many, many areas of our life, some areas in your life, you have really grown. But then right next to it's another area of your life, you haven't hardly even started. And that's why a lot of times people point out in Christians going, man, you seem, you know, so honest. And that's because God's done that work in your life. You used to be a liar and a deceiver. And man, you're such an honest person as a Christian should be. But then I heard you talking to your wife and I heard you cussing her out and using the, all these cuss words and anger and you slammed the phone down. I thought you were a Christian. And all of a sudden we feel like, man, I'm not a Christian at all. You're right. When you point it out that way, I'm not even saved. No, it's just there are many areas in your life. And God works on some areas and he just takes it and, and we do grow. You know, let's say there's one to a hundred. Hundred is walking like Christ and he takes the area of honesty and he works on that, works on that and you're, it's at a 20. But then the area of purity, you know, you're only a two. And then there's gonna be a time in your life that God begins to work on that and raise that up. And then there's the issue with anger. It's like, man, I'm honest and I'm, Walking in purity, but I've got this angry. God's going to work on that. And so, again, it sort of depends on the area of our life. And if you've been a Christian for 10, 20 years, there's some areas of your life that still God's hardly touched yet. And it sort of depends on how deep of a hole you started in. I mean, if you came to Christ and, you know, your first year is just trying to get off of drugs, you know, all of a sudden you've been a Christian for a year and you finally got to zero, (laughs) You know, I'm not thinking about drugs and stealing and doing whatever it takes to get drugs. I'm finally, uh, my mind's working properly. And now we can move forward. So it sort of depends on 
where you start and how much baggage you have uh, to get going. And so I need you to talk to the older men and to help them to establish a life of character. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. That word perish, it's translated many different ways in different versions, but the best concept is you meander. You know, if you uh, get some guys off a Navy ship and they come into port and they don't know where they're going. Are we going to go eat? I don't know. Let's just start walking around. And you get a bunch of young guys in some some foreign city meandering around. What's going to probably happen? Probably the chances are something bad rather than something good. Or at the best, you know, neutral. You didn't do anything positive. But if you have a plan, I have a contact. There's a Christian young men's group on this address and you're getting off the ship and you have a plan. And in essence, the guys in Crete, okay, I've become a Christian. I'm going to hear sermons. I'm, um, you know, I love what Jesus has done for me. I love to hear stories about Jesus. But he's saying, you need to have a vision for your life. As a young man, we're going to look at. As a young woman. As an older man. As an older woman. So as an older man, and you need to have a vision for your life. And, and let me tell you something. Somewhere in the church, I think there's been a real breakdown in communication on this point. Because so often in the church, people get to where their kids are gone and moved out. And they get to the place where, man, the house is almost paid off and they got a little extra spending money and, and, uh, and they just sort of lose vision. You know, I was involved in the Little League and Sunday school and all, you know, the school and all these things because my kids were there. I was trying to keep up and be involved in their life and, and be aware of what's going on. But now that the kids are gone, I don't really know. I'd feel sort of weird going and teaching Sunday school or coaching Little League or, you know, being involved at the school without having kids there or whatever. And you need to have a plan. And, and really... This teaching is as much for the young men as it is for the old men. You know, when we have teachings on raising kids, I say, hey, we're going to have a special seminar for all you single people and all you young married people that don't have kids on how to raise kids. But if you people that have kids, you can come anyway if you want. But just stay out of the way. Because really, you want to teach how to raise kids decades before people start having kids. So they understand the word. They understand wisdom. So when those little buggers pop out, you know, (laughs) you've got a plan from A to Z on their life. You're not in the middle of it scraping to try to figure out, what do I do? You know, how do I handle this? But you've already been taught how to raise kids and you've taught Sunday school and you've been around kids and you you have a plan. That's That's the wise thing. The same way with... Getting, before you get married, learn how to be a married partner. So here, uh, you're a young man. You need to understand up front that when you get to your late 40s or 50s or whenever that is, and the kids are out of the house, you don't retire as a Christian. You never retire as a Christian. You are now more valuable to the kingdom of God 
than you've ever been in your life. You have a freedom. You're not taking care of kids anymore. You've got years of walking with Christ, walking by faith. You've seen the economy be horrible and good several times. You've been through all kinds of difficulties in your own marriage, with your own kids, with your own family. You've seen life. You've seen death. You've seen good times. You've seen bad times. You've wrestled through all the scriptures of the Bible, hopefully, many times. And now here you are at 48 years old or 55 years old. Step up. Now we need you to take over the marriage classes. We need you to take over the Sunday school. We need you to head up the teams going on the mission trips. We need you now to be ready to pour into the younger generation and give the younger generation what you never had. You think of how much suffering you went through in your 20s and 30s as a young parent, as a young married couple, and there was nobody in your life to be there that you could call 24 hours a day, seven days a week to say, hey, here's what's going on. This is a spiritual attack. This is, the, this is how Satan does this. Or this is, you know, you're, you're being a jerk to your wife. This is the way you need to look at this. How we, we need to have people with life experience, more than anything, wisdom from the word and years of walking in obedience to the Lord. And it's, it's always heartbreaking when I see people say, man, the kids are gone. They start taking longer and longer vacations. They start showing up to church once a month and then every six months. And then, you know, they're on the bowling team and the Texas Hold'em two nights a week. And, you know, they're, you know, bought a, Harley Davidson and they're out riding on the weekends with the whatever group and they're just it's not necessarily bad stuff but they're not pouring themselves in to the church when I say church I'm talking about people we are the church and God's made you a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear and you need to be that now more than ever and I think that you will accomplish more from 50 to 60 and 60 to 70 and 70 to 80. And so far, if the Lord blesses more, you'll be more fruitful. You'll have more treasure in heaven in that time than any other time of your life. Because you have opportunity, often means, to, to be able to help and to minister. And so, I, you know, this is a real pet peeve of mine. And uh, I saw this back when I was a very young man, and uh, I talk on it as often as I can, but when I find a scripture on it, I really want to talk about it. But I'll try to move on here. So God has still got room for you to grow as an older person. There's going to be challenges, temptations, hardships that are unique to older people, and you need to be close to the Lord in ministry more than you've ever been in your older years. And, you know, you go through the scripture, and... Uh, one commentary I was looking at who did the math, he said that David, when he fell with Bathsheba, would probably be uh, in his late 50s when that happened. That Solomon was again in his 60s when he started building temples to the pagan gods. Um, and you go through the scripture, and it's amazing how many mighty men fell in their 50s, in their 60s, in their 70s. Even though they had a wonderful life of incredible fruitfulness, they fell apart and, and began to self-destruct in their elder, older years. And guys like Solomon and, and some of these guys, we don't even know if they're in heaven because they were doing 
horrible things in those last decade or two of their life. Uh, when they had done so much good, they had undone it uh, in their older years. So first of all, the character thing is to be sober. We've been talking about that. Sober physically, for sure. Um, I'm not going to give a sermon on drinking. I've done that. I I don't think Christians anywhere in the world have a right to drink alcohol. And I I think the Bible says that very clearly. Uh, I have many teachings on it. Should Christians drink? Um, One out of Isaiah, I think 28, or somewhere in there. The sermon's titled that. And then, of course, uh, Leviticus 10, a few other places, Proverbs 31. I I give sermons on that, go through the whole Bible. Um, Not going to teach on that, but either way, not to become drunk. And uh, that's on the physical level. On the metaphorical level, be sober about life. Be sober about spiritual things. Be sober about the devil and spiritual attack. You know, I I think that if we stop seeking the Lord and in the word and in prayer, we become natural-minded again, even as Christians. And I've seen it where Christians have just been under demonic attack and they didn't even think about Satan's creating this horrible thing. In their mind, it's just, you know, that person, you know, stabbed me in the back and that person lied to me. It's like, hold on. Look at this. This is Satan trying to get a foothold in your, your lives. Like, wow. You're right. I I didn't even think that because you weren't sober spiritually. You weren't sober enough to be thinking in the spiritual realm because you got away from it. The next thing we see for older women or older men is to be reverent. The word there is dignified. You know, the one thing you discover in leadership is you can be funny and and be goofy and 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 be everybody's friend. But when people go through a hard time, they want somebody serious. They want somebody that is dignified. If I'm going to pour out my heart and my sins and my hardship or my struggles or things that are, are you know, the deep things of my heart, I want somebody that I can trust. I want somebody who's going to be serious and not goofing off and who's so lighthearted about things that he might tell other people what I just told him. I need people that, that are serious and they know what's going on. I mean, you go to the doctor, you want a serious doctor, don't you? I mean, if you're going through legal problems, you want a serious lawyer. Well, in the same way, when we deal with the life issues, you want to have an older man who, again, is not known as the town clown or the town whatever, but he's a man known as an honorable man, a noble man, a dignified man. Also, the older men are to be temperate. Very simply, the word here in the Greek is translated in many ways. Matter of fact, in a couple of verses, it's going to be translated totally different. But it's the word self-controlled. Temperate is to be self-controlled. It's moderate in all things. And it's somebody who's moderate because they're self-controlled. And this is something, again, that's rather interesting. Because as a young man, you learn very quickly, I have to say no to my appetites. You know, uh, whether it's sexual appetites or whether it's anger or whether it's greed or whatever it is, you have to learn. I've got I've to say no, even though my flesh is screaming for it and want it and it seems like I should have it. But it's not right that I would have it. And I have to say no. And I've 
tell you, I, I've seen a lot of young men who are married, been married two or three years, and they meet another girl, and they're just like going, I just feel like it's God for me to have this other woman. You know, it's just, she's to be mine. And it's like, no. And their flesh and their mind and everything is screaming that. And it's, she's not to be your wife. You already have one. And again, I've seen men and women again thinking, man, we should have that new car, that big house, or I, I should be mine, and I need to figure out how to, to get it. And it's, it's something that they really feel it so strongly in their flesh. It should be true. But it's not. It's your flesh. It's the world. It's advertisement. <laughs> it's all your friends have it, whatever it is. And... Um, when guys get older, if you would, when they go through their midlife crisis, which can happen over about 35 years, they continue to have it at different times. Again, they, they can sort of be immature. Even though they're older and know better, they're acting like a teenager. And they have to sort of now, in their older age, relearn what they learned over 30 years from teenager on. They have to now sort of relearn that. What's What's it mean to be self-controlled as a 50-year-old man? And again, um, this is something that a young man, Titus, was to teach these older men. Coming from the Lord, not from him, not from his opinion. The next thing is to teach sound. The word sound here again, uh, it's the word we get our word hygiene from. It's healthy. You're to teach a healthy, sound faith. Again, um, as we get older, you're learning these now in a different way, in a deeper way, in a more profound way. You knew them at one level for your life, but now you need to know them at a deeper level, not only for your life, but to teach it to other people for their life. That's something as a, a pastor I learned very quickly when I started teaching. I realized, man, I know this chapter for me. God spoke this chapter in my life. But to teach it, it's just a whole nother thing. I have to learn it at a whole nother angle, if you would, or a whole never, nother way to minister that same word that I know it well. I could quote it and speak it to my own life, but I realize it's something different. And so again, as an older man, you need to know sound faith, how to walk by faith in all kinds of different areas, not just for you, but in a way that you're going to be able to communicate that, to teach that to others as well. Again, they need to be sound, healthy, in love. You know, this is something that... <laughs> I talk to guys my age pretty regularly on. And that is when you have lived on this earth for several decades. Um, you start getting sort of cynical about life because you've been hurt so many times. There's so many different relationships that have hurt you. Um, you've been disrespected by so many people that it's easy to climb into a shell and to become the hermit. It's not worth it, you decide. It's not worth it to put up to the rudeness of my kids. It's not worth it to take the abuse from my spouse. You know, I've got all these friends, and here I am. I've had these friends for 30 years, and they're good for nothing, it seems. 
And you, you can easily get cynical and bitter more in your old age just because you live longer on the earth. And uh, it's something on a pretty regular place. I'm like, you know what? Before you love people because you love them, now you need to love them because God tells you to love them. You know? You have this little baby that comes out of the womb. Oh, I love him so much. I love him so much. And then all of a sudden, they become a teenager, and it's like, help me. I hate them. I, don't, I shouldn't hate them, but I do, you know? Well, you know, you love them when they're all cute and cuddly. Uh, now you've got to learn to love them in obedience to God. And often when the kids leave the house, the husband and wife look at each other and realize we've been a great team raising kids, but we're not a great team when it's just you and me having to spend time together. And in, in essence, they've got to learn to fall in love all over again in a way that's more profound than they ever had in the last 35 years of their marriage. They've got to learn how to date again. They've got to learn how to have things in common again. They have to learn how to enjoy one another just with them too. And it's something, if you're young with kids now, fight to get those couple of hours here and a couple hours there and date and, and be together because when the kids leave, you want to look at each other and, and still be in love. But so often, people get divorced when they have the empty nest. And so you need to be sound in your love. And today, in our society in particular, probably in Crete, it's very reasonable. You need a divorce? Get a divorce. It's reasonable. You know, you want to be bitter at that guy and no longer be his friend? He stabbed you in the back. Be bitter. Yeah, you have a right. You know, you can get that kind of counsel from people. Or I've seen it often where Again, people want to come and spew, let's say, bitterness, which seems to be the theme tonight. And let me tell you what my husband, blah, 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 blah. And it's instead of people saying, hold it, let's look at what the word says. They're like, well, let me tell you my war story, too, about my husband. You know, and then three other wives jump in and want to tell their story or, or about your parents or about your friends or about how you got stabbed in the back or about your hurt. And in essence, in reality, you need to be sound in love. To be able to say, hold it. You know, love believes all things, hopes all things. Um, you know, you need to forgive. And if this person was your wife and you loved them because they're your wife, well, now they're your enemy, so you need to love them because you're your enemy. Either way, you've got to love them. <laughs> the Bible's pretty clear. You do good to them, you feed them, and you bless them when they're your enemy, and you feed them and do good to them and bless them when they're your wife. And if that wife becomes your enemy, well, you still do the same things because God told you to love your enemy in the same way you'd love somebody you love. So you're not off the hook. But again, to, to be sound in doctrine on the issue of love. Also to be sound, to be healthy on the doctrine of the issue of patience. And again, this is one of those interesting things. People learn self-control, how to be patient, and then they get to be in their elderly years, whatever that is, and they're very impatient again. You know, uh, I'm, I'm often amazed to see people um, that are old enough to know better to be like little three-year-old kids in impatience. You know, some person who's an older person in the line at the grocery store screaming at the cashier, you know. I can't believe I've been waiting, you know. And it's like, you, you can have that, can't you? You can have your old grumpy guy, your old wicked guy, you know, the old uh, perverted guy 
I mean, we even have sayings that go along with that, right? The dirty old man. The cranky old man. The grumpy old man. The mean old man. We have a lot of those sayings, don't we? Because it's true. When you get older, your body aches. You know, come on, I'm 70 years old. I don't have that much long to live. Hurry up with the line up there, catcher. Whatever, I mean... And, and so we're achy and we're, we're frustrated and, you know, it's a half an hour until I take my pill and when the pill starts wearing off, I get a little cranky and agitated and, and sort of in a new way, we need to learn patience. And so again, you know, you're here and you're 30 years old and you're going, what's this, what's this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you because it's going to take you 20 years to hear this kind of teaching to be ready to be an older person. So you're not that, that person you don't want to be to fall into those behaviors. Well, let's pick on the women here a minute. The older women, likewise, so here now Titus has to teach women, the older women, that is. In 1 Timothy 5.2, he says, Older women treat as mothers. Older, women, older men you're to treat as fathers. So again, there is a, a respect to their age. So Titus shouldn't come in there and act superior or act like, hey, listen to me, I'm your pastor. No, he needs to appeal to the older man in a, in a fatherly way, in a kind way, in a loving way. But you're talking about issues that, you know, are going to cut, are going to hurt. And if there is controversy... You know, what are you talking about? You know, you're 28 years old and you're telling me how to be 58? Well, the Bible tells me that this is my job. That this is what I'm to do as a pastor, as a leader in the church. To help you have a vision. To be the godly person that you're to be in your older years. And here, as the older woman, as to a mom. Again, to be in character. What's the first thing on the list here? Reverent in their behavior. It's interesting here, the root of this word is priest-like. The same root word is holy. That you are to be as a priestess is literally what this is saying. You're to be as a holy woman. That's the first thing on the list for older women. And then, right away, sort of in the opposite of that is not slanderers. The word slanderer in the Greek is diablos, which we get our word devil, Satan from. It's the same concept of accuser of the brethren. That's what Satan is called in Revelation. Not to be slander or a gossip. So be a priestess, be holy. Don't be a gossip. A slanderer. And I'll tell you, I've, I've at times had to approach women and say, look, you, you can't talk about your husband. Or, worse yet, a lady confided him complaining about her husband, and then she shared it with her husband, and she shared it with a couple of her friends, and then her husband comes to church with her, and all of a sudden everybody's looking at him like, ooh. And he's like, man, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't know why. Well, it's because... You know, I'm telling you this, don't tell anybody. And then the next five people said, I'm telling you this, don't tell anybody. But yet, ten of you know. 
And that kind of, that kind of thing can't go on. And on a pretty regular basis, you know, I have to talk to people and say, hey, love covers the multitude of sin. And absolutely, when somebody is sharing their burden to you, you know, number one, it never goes any farther than you. You don't tell your husband. You don't tell your best friend. You don't tell somebody on the other side of the country. It stays with you. Secondly, you are scriptural with them. They're, you know what? What you just shared with me is that you're offended by your husband or by your sister or by your child. And in Matthew 18, it says that if you're, somebody has sinned against you, you go to them. So you need to go tell your husband your griefs or your sister your grief or your mother or daughter or whoever it is. You should not be sharing this with me. Let's look at Matthew 18 together. You're to tell them and them alone. If they don't listen to you and you're coming to me now to go with you to confront them, that's the only reason. So you know what? This is the first time out the door because you're a new Christian. But in the future, you're never to share something like that ever about anybody. You know, the old saying, if you don't have anything good to say, what? Don't say anything else. That's the Bible, guys. And we love to complain, don't we? It's just something that feeds our flesh. We love to gripe and to murmur. And the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always and in everything give thanks. The Bible makes it very clear that we're not to be murmuring and complaining. And again, if women never got that down and now they're, they're older women and they're dignified and you don't realize, you know, you're this 58-year-old woman saying how unhappy you are as a wife, you don't know what weight that carries to a 22-year-old woman that just got married. She just basically lost hope, saying, man, you've been married 40 years and you're miserable. I've been married two years and I guess I got a lifetime of being miserable. You, you, you just, if you would, put a seed in her heart of get out of this quick because if not, 40 years from now, you'll be just as unhappy. And so again, he's saying here, you need to be holy. You need to be like a priest and, and, and not to be on the other side of the coin doing the work of the devil in the name of, this is a prayer request, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm saying it only because it's true. It's not gossip. No, gossip can be completely 100% true. It's still gossip. It's simply trying to say negative things about somebody else. We're not to do it. And then we see, again, not given to much wine. The term given to is the word doulos. It's the word servant. Don't become a servant to wine. And again, I'm not going to go off on a teaching on that, and I'm saying that because I'm tempted to do that. Also, Titus is to teach them, the older women, to be teachers of good things. To who? To the younger women. Okay? As you'll see here, one of the jobs of the pastor is not to teach younger women. The pastor, the leaders, are to teach older men, older women, young men, but not the young women. That's a good, interesting point. So since he can't teach the younger women, 
He's got to teach the older women to teach the younger women. And this is what he goes on to say in verse 4. So you need to teach your older women that they, the older women, admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And so again, you're, you, you, there's a people group within the church that you, you're not the personally disciple. That is for the older women. But again, this is in a perfect world. And so in our church, if there's a younger woman that needs to be counseled, our leaders never do it alone. They either have their wife with them, or they have their husband with them, or another leader with them. We never do it alone. And um, even after the service, if I'm down here talking and a, young, a younger woman's there, t- almost always one of the leaders will come and stand by me. Very rarely is this not. Just Why? Because it's just simple accountability. It's not a good place to put you in. When you have the treasure in your heart and you're putting it to somebody else, tonight this is my treasure and I'm putting it into your heart. Often when we've been taught by a pastor, we love him. I know my pastor Chuck, I love him. And I've, you know, I've talked to Chuck uh, several times and stuff, but I know many Calvary pastors have never even had a conversation with Chuck. But they love him. Why? Because they've heard his teaching. And when somebody's put their treasure into them, there's a love for them. It's a natural love. It's a good love. But often... You know, if a guy's alone with a girl, the wires can get crossed, and what you feel in love can all of a sudden become uh, an attraction that's unhealthy. And um, so again, he needs to teach the younger, older women to help learn how to teach the younger women. They need to have that teaching skill. The first thing on the list is to love their husbands. If you're married, you know exactly why they say this, you know. You get married, you have the honeymoon, you love them, love them, love them, and then three months later, you got to read the verse. Oh, God, you got to love him, honest God. You know, oh, okay, help me, Lord. Give me grace to love this jerk. And, uh, and thus is the next several years of your life, um, learning the love that God has for all of us. And so, again, it's, it's not always a natural thing. And in, in our Western culture, you hear this often where people say, well, I don't love my husband. I don't love my wife. I don't love... And you ask them, what do you mean? It's a feeling. I don't have the feeling. That's life. We don't always feel the right things. Do you ever get up and say, I don't feel like reading the scripture? I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel... I mean, we often don't feel the right things that we must do. And every once in a while we do. All of a sudden we have this feeling of romance, of love that comes over us. Oh, I love my wife. I'll give you a kiss. And, you know, maybe it was you watched a movie on romance or whatever it was. I don't know. You feel it. And it's wonderful when you feel it. But many times, maybe even most of the time, with the worries and the cares and the difficulties of life, we just don't feel it. That doesn't mean you don't love them. And love, agape love, is love without condition. We make a commitment to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We make a commitment till death do us part to love our spouse. 
And here, they need to learn. How do I love my husband? Well, you know what? That's a lifetime of growth. But you have to love him. And there's days where you're just like, ah, I don't think I can, you know. Uh, maybe the husband's a non-Christian. And he'd done some horrible things. And five years of that, but still, you've got to stay in the game and continue to love. Again, to love your children. Again, kids can get older and meaner and, and disrespectful. But you've got to keep loving them. And it can be hard. And then again, they need to be, um, as it says here, discreet. It's the same word we saw earlier in verse 2, temperate, self-controlled. They need to learn to be self-controlled. In this case, it's translated discreet. They need to learn to be chaste. That's the word pure. They need to learn to be homemakers, to be satisfied in the home. And that's, that's a hard thing because we're often disrespectful and not appreciative of something we have every day. You know, uh, familiarity breeds content. When we have something every day, even if it's a great meal or clothes cleaned or the house cleaned, we, we don't care. We don't appreciate it. The lady goes off and gets a job and her boss says, oh man, you did a wonderful job. Boy, you answer the phones great. You, you, you know, you, whatever you did, your job, man, you were so good. At, and so they don't get any praise at home. But here they're at a workplace and they're doing their job and they're getting all kinds of appreciation and thanks from other employees and bosses. And so I love being at work because I'm getting affirmed. I'm getting complimented. You know, I, I get dressed up. I feel good about myself. But when I'm at home, you know, I, I do all of this work and nobody cares. Clean the house, they don't care. Place looks like a pig bin, they don't care. You know, fix a nice meal or throw some, you know, Chicken fingers in the microwave, they don't care. Just leave them alone while they watch TV. And it can get to this place where they, they don't have the joy of, of working in the home and caring for the kids and caring for the husband. It's something that they don't feel fulfilled in, and especially in our culture today. And if you would, the older women need to teach the younger women how to not get discouraged in the life of being a homemaker. And uh, again, they need to teach what is good or goodness, the good things. In other words, the positive things, not negative things. How to have a positive aspect or outview on life. And so often, again, we, we get down on ourselves. We feel bad about ourselves. We start getting negative about things. We never have enough time. We never have enough money. We don't ever have enough space. We never have, you know... Things are, we start looking at all the bad things and sort of focus on all the bad things. And that's all we can see after a while is the bad things. And I, there's a lot of bad things out there, okay? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, right? And a part of the job of the older women to the younger women is to help them focus on all the good things, on the positive things, and the things that are even bad, that, that really are bad, that how to cope with them in a way that's godly and right, even though it's difficult. Why? Once again, we've seen this term, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That again, what we are in practice here in church is what we practice everywhere else. That we're not all nice and loving and hugging each other here, but 
you know, when somebody cuts in front of us in the grocery store, we're still the same person. You know, when we're out and some guy cuts you off on the freeway, we're still the same person. That we are still patient and kind and loving, full of the fruit of the Spirit. And I won't give you the list of that here tonight. Amen? Well, next week we're going to look at the other uh, group of people as we look at uh, the younger men in particular and, uh, and their life as well. Well, Lord, begin. we thank you for your word here this evening. And uh, there's a lot here to chew on. There's a lot here to think about. There's not just a, a concept that we can really just say, I got it. This is sort of like the proverb that it just sort of grows in its meaning. And uh, it really never does come to an end. What's it, what's it mean to be pure? It's, it's really no end to that meditation on that. And Lord, I just ask tonight, Lord, as we think about these things and meditate, maybe there's older people here tonight realizing, that's me, I'm the gripey old man or the dirty old man. Or maybe the women, the older women realize, I am the gossip, I, I am the bearer of negative things and not good things. I'm, I'm not an encouragement to the younger women. I just chime right in with their griping. Or maybe the younger men here tonight realize, man, I, I don't want to be that gripey old man. And I'm that now at 30. I'll be 10 times worse at 60. Lord, help us, God, to, to hear your admonition. We know that this isn't Paul's idea, that this is your word. How, as we live and cope in this flesh for a few thousand days on this earth, that we can finish well that we continue to grow as a disciple, grow in godliness, grow in fruitfulness, that we don't take a break for 10 years and, and end up at, in our older years starting back over as a young Christian in, in character. Let us continue to grow that our character does double, our fruitfulness does double and triple as we continue to grow older in these last days. And we thank you again for your word and, and just so right on that your word is for godliness, but your word is also for life, how we're to live on this planet in a way that glorifies you and that your word is not blasphemed. We lay our lives at your feet in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. And so tell the people around you, you love them and God bless them and don't be a grumpy old person. Tell them that. Unless they're old, don't offend them.